Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. And on today's podcast, episode 133, my returning guest, Steve Farrell, is sharing strategies for creating safe spaces for our students online and in person. Brenda Earl Stokes is talking about her singer-friendly online courses in solfege and piano. Shannon Coates, our good friend, shares exciting ways you can continue your professional vocal pedagogy learning. And we're going to discover a fantastic new podcast for voice teachers called The Voice Culture Podcast. Wonderful guests and timely topics right here on The Full Voice Podcast. Hello and welcome, my friend, my colleague. I hope you are keeping well. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast at time of release, it's mid-December 2020. And most of us are wrapping up one heck of a year of teaching. And a full disclosure, the no secret here, I am looking forward to not teaching and holding space for my students for a while. I need that break. Um, so every every wish in my heart for you, wherever you are in the world, is that you are going to be able to en- enjoy a restful, quiet holiday. And I just want to remind you that you are responsible for crafting <laughs> your time and how you want to spend your time. So please know that it is within your power to do that. So if you can, please make sure to practice some self-care, take some time off, do things that rejuvenate you and bring you back to uh, a positive place so that you can jump back into teaching in the new year with um, with all the energy and joy that you have. Uh, now, I have to tell you too, I'm super thankful for the opportunity this year, um, we're able to pre-record our Christmas Eve service. You know, I have not had a Christmas Eve off in years. Full disclosure, was getting a little resentful about the Christmas Eve service. Um, so um, my son is 10 now, and I'm actually really looking forward to spending Christmas Eve with him at home uh, and and having a fun meal and, and doing some quiet family traditions. So I hope you get to do the same. Uh, I have an amazing show today, some amazing guests, and some really great teacher takeaways. And I know you're going to enjoy it, and we're going to get started. When welcoming students into our studios, whether online or in person, teachers understand that we are responsible for creating the environment in which our students can thrive. Even in regular times, creating and maintaining a, I'm using air quotes here, safe space is always challenging. My returning guest, Steve Farrell, is a yoga and meditation teacher and a licensed therapeutic counselor. We are talking about the many different strategies for creating a welcoming learning space for all. Welcome back. To the podcast, my my wonderful friend, my 
I miss you so much. I can't tell Ditto. you. Ditto. <laughs> but uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Steve Farrell, a dear friend, uh, my meditation and yoga teacher. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Yeah, I'm so glad to be back. It's a pleasure as always. So Steve was a, a weekly uh, retreat for me before COVID. <laughs> Thursday mornings, 9.30 was a yeah. hot yin yang class steve i can't tell you how much i miss you and your classes and uh mm, thank you and i have a story to tell you okay so i went to see my osteopath yesterday and uh he because i've been having you know i haven't been to your class in like eight months and it really shows right <laughs> <laughs> my osteopath you know he's kind of assessing the situation he's like wow your body is like reading at defcon 5 right now <laughs> <laughs> and i was like i know i haven't seen my yoga teacher for eight months oh. so uh, but i'm so happy that you're here um we're gonna talk about some really important topics i think and today we're talking about creating a safe space for our students. Mm -hmm. And I want to I talk about safe space in person because there are some teachers that are able to teach in person, but also online because many of us are teaching online and we will be teaching online for the foreseeable future. Yeah, indefinitely, for sure. Um, but many people might not know that you're also a therapeutic counselor. Yes, yeah. So you obviously have transitioned from in-person sessions to online sessions. Yeah, we're not allowed to do in-person sessions. So I'm governed by the College of Social Work. Mm -hmm. And the College of Social Work has basically said no live sessions for social workers, mm. um, as far as I know these days. So yeah, everything went online. And I haven't seen a person in like live for therapy since COVID hit. Mm. So it's been like when, when we're talking about this like idea of safe space online, it's especially within a therapeutic setting, it becomes super important that somebody feels comfortable and that their information is like as safe as the information can be on the internet. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and the term safe space online, like we're talking about a lot of different things. So we're talking mm -hmm. about obviously privacy and, yep. and security of, of information, but also just making someone feel comfortable enough so that we can actually help them. Yeah, yeah. So when you transitioned from in-person to online, had you done online counseling prior to COVID? I'd done a few sessions online and like, especially with counseling, um, <clears throat> like some people can't meet in person or oh. some people don't want to meet in person. Oh, fair. And that's, that's an interesting thing. It's like, they want to talk to somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, um, so they want to talk to somebody and they've been referred to me either by a friend or by a colleague or um, whatever my referral source is. And so sometimes I would even just do it on the phone. Right. So right. I'm used to being in that scenario where I'm able to communicate. We're talking about like, especially in therapy, some big heavy topics, mm -hmm. but we're not in person, like not even being able to see them. It's actually mm -hmm. what I like about Zoom as opposed to the phone is that, like, at least I can see you. Sure. Right? So sure. Like, I can, I can see how somebody's reacting like uh, physically or mentally or emotionally to what we're talking about, mm -hmm. which is difficult on the phone. Like you have to really listen deeply to what their voice is doing when they're talking to you. Wow. That's, that's a good point. How did you find, how did you 
manage the transition from the stu- the uh, students, but the clients that you saw uh, in person, and then you had to transition online. How how did you manage that in the beginning? It was okay. Um, I definitely lost a couple clients because they didn't want to do online. Like being in a room with a therapist um, was essential to their process. They felt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so. Some people did not want to do online, and I'm cool with that. I get that. Um, but I would say for the most part, it was a smooth transition. Uh, it's nice that, um, like I'm in an office right now, but mm-hmm. mostly because my kids are unruly, uh, when I'm <laughs> at home. So like, I can't, like I have to lock the door to the bedroom if I'm going to do counseling out of the bedroom <laughs> or something like that. Sure. And then they'll still pound on the door and be like, daddy, hungry. I'm like, your mother's out there. She can get you a bar. Oh my gosh, isn't that, that is such a reality for so many people right now is yeah, just managing. Yeah. We should probably incorporate, how do you create a safe space for your clients and also not kill your children if you're working right. at home? <laughs> but I, I really loved those, like when we first started to go online, those little clips of like, let's say CNN reporters and they'd right. be in their office and then they're like, their naked little kid would run <laughs> past them in the background. And I'm like, this is... Like as somebody who comes from a, like a mindfulness background, um, which is like just tuning into the way that life is in every moment to the mm-hmm. best of our ability, like that's the reality of, of what's happening right now is Absolutely. CNN reporters, maybe not even wearing pants, but you can't tell, <laughs> and naked little children running around in the background, right? Right. And then like in the beginning, like things like Zoom bombing where people were oh. jumping into Zoom calls and yeah. like doing inappropriate things. <laughs> That never happened to me, thank goodness. I was about to ask, does that happen to you? No, not to me, but to friends. Like friends of mine have had that happen. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So if we're trying to welcome um, either a student or a client into our space, what are some of your guidelines for just helping them to get comfortable and, and so that we can really connect with them? Yeah, I think a nice, you you actually have something really nice before we got onto your Zoom call, which is like a, you look great. Oh, in the, like, in the waiting room? I love that little waiting room message. Like even the last time I saw you on Zoom when we were meeting to talk about this, um, it made me giggle both times. Like, oh, oh you look great. And I'm like, oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> so I think, I think that that can be a really wonderful, nice first step is like even just an, a tiny little message in the waiting room. Um, mm. If you're using something like, if, you're, if your platform has a waiting room, mm-hmm. to have something in there that's kind of either funny or could be like a soothing message. Um, so I think that that's, really, like, I don't have anything like that, but I think I'm going to do that. Oh. <laughs> so that when my student, when my clients um, or like my meditation students are in the waiting room, at least they have like something to let them know that I'm thinking about them. Yeah. Not necessarily specifically them, but just like the general like I love my I love my clients and I love all of my students and just to have that little like brief message I think is fantastic. I I love that you pointed that. I'm full disclosure. I stole that from I think my friend who's also a a, a regular guest on the podcast is Michelle Marquart Devoe. Her waiting room had a uh, you know I'll be right with you and I thought and it made me it's like you said it made me laugh and then and then I thought you know I got to do that with my students so that they yeah. know oh the, thank you for yeah. reminding me sometimes you forget yeah. what what happens because you don't have that experience no right? exactly yeah yeah but I would say some other steps to take especially online is 
Um, like one thing that I've done with all of my older clients that were, we were meeting in person and then we switched to online was I spent the first part of the first session talking about what the online experience might be like. So oh. what, are, what are some of the common experiences of the online sort of platforms that we're using? And letting them know, like, if we get kicked off of a call, mm. I'm going to call you right back. No. Um, if for whatever reason, my internet or your internet aren't working, and this might not work so well with, let's say, like voice teachers, um, but I'm offering, like, if the internet, like, poops out, let's do it on the phone. Like, we mm. can still do what we need to do, and we'll yeah. just figure out an adaptable way to do it. Yeah, that's um, so that was something that I did with a lot of my clients when we first started meeting online, was just going over first couple minutes of like, what might this be like? Mm -hmm. And like from the model that I work in within counseling, it's called ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy, or sometimes called acceptance and commitment training. Um, if you're more of like a lay person um, or a non-clinician is what we usually say in the, in the mm -hmm. biz, non-clinicians. Um, but that within ACT, one of the sort of models that we're working off of is what we call psychological flexibility. Mm -hmm. It's like how psychologically flexible can we make somebody via the work that we do? And I think that this has been difficult for a lot of people moving online, mm. but I think it's a wonderful opportunity for me as a therapist to actually um, model the psychological flexibility, wow. right? To be able to model that to my clients and be like, okay, we're moving online. If this doesn't work, we'll figure out another way to do it. We're not gonna give up. Um, we've got a bunch of options. So we'll just play around with those options. And what I think that that really does for my clients and my students is it lets them know I, with this idea of a, a safe or supported space that I'm here to support them no matter what happens. Brilliant. And so I think that like when we say safe, I tend not to use that word a lot, like safety, like this is a safe space. Because mm -hmm. I really like, as a relatively scientific and objective person, I know that I cannot actually guarantee anybody's safety. Right, like I, hack, hackers can do whatever they want. Mm. Like they could, they, somebody really wanted to get on this call right now. <laughs> they could figure out a way to do it. Like if True. this was precious information, like <laughs> government level stuff that was being shared, somebody would figure out how to get it. Right. Um, or like sometimes I'll make this joke. Uh, like we really have no idea who could come busting through that door, or if a natural disaster were to blow this building down. <laughs> And that's, that's sort of like my overarching idea of like, I can't guarantee you safety, but mm. what I can guarantee you to the best of my ability is my support. Nice. And I'm here. And I really like that idea of if we look at, let's say, how do I want to put this chicken or egg, maybe conversation of like what comes first, mm. that if someone feels supported, they feel safe. Nice. So for me, the feeling of support or the idea of support comes before safety. Mm. The safety or the feeling of safety is like a byproduct of feeling supported. Brilliant. And so if I can let my people know that I'm supporting them to the best of my ability, then it creates a safer environment, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I want to thank you because I think personally, I just want to say, I think that might be the missing link for teachers who were struggling to teach online was mm -hmm. just, just communicating that I'm here to help you and you can yeah. reach out or we can come up with a different scenario to not just their students, but it really it comes down to families, like letting families mm -hmm. know that we were there. Thank you for that. Okay, you're welcome. You're welcome.
That's just sort of one step that I've taken is uh, one thing that I've been working on a lot over the years, especially as a yoga teacher, is refining my language and how I think about things Mm -hmm. and how I want to communicate those things. And one of my teachers was actually sort of, he pointed it out to me. He's like, when you say something like, this is a safe space, he's like, can you, he's kind of, he likes to poke things. So he's like, (laughs) can you really guarantee safety? can you really? And I'm like, well, no, the reality is that I can't guarantee anybody's safety, but I can guarantee them to the best of my ability in each moment to be as supportive as I possibly can be. Like that's something that I can control. Mm. So I try to like, if you, if anybody's on Instagram these days and you see these little memes of like things you can control and things you can't control. <laughs> yes. Right. And so I like, I can't control a plane crashing out of the sky or a natural disaster or something like that, but I can to a degree control how I show up for my people. Nice. That's, that's so helpful. Now, my other question is when you, when you welcome somebody into your, your online space, um, how, what are, and you notice maybe that they're a little distracted or a little agitated. What are some of your approaches for just letting them kind of relax? Maybe that's the wrong word, but just ease into your, into the the area yeah my first thing is we always do a check-in like no matter what we're doing and uh, my son is doing remote learning right now and what i love about his teacher is every morning when they get on the computer they do like an emoji check-in so they they load up the chat and then they've got like six options most kids don't use the six options they use something like i don't know a dancing (laughs) panda or something (laughs) of course yes but then every option has uh has a number beside it. So you could put like your dancing panda, but then you could put um, five would be feeling the best. It's like great. And then mm-hmm. one is like feeling the worst, like you're sad or you're feeling bad. So they put like a little emoji and then they, they put a number. So I always do a check-in and I really like whenever I meet a new client, um, one of the things that we say in, actually I say it anywhere. I don't even just say it in therapy anymore. It's, it's interesting how, my work as a counselor has sort of filtered into everything else that I do and vice versa um, is that I'll say to them, whatever shows up in this room, it's okay. Like I'm cool with whatever shows up here. Mm. And if we need to work with it, we'll work with it. But they know that when they come in, um, like let's say I have some clients who their words don't match their expression. So they come in and they're kind of somber or melancholy and they say, I'm like, how are you doing? And they're like, Oh, I'm Okay. Like, really? Because you don't look okay. Mm -hmm. So all of my clients know that they can be honest with me. Mm. And that's, again, leading back to that support or that safety idea is like, if they can feel that they can be honest with me about what they're feeling and not get any judgment for it. Oh, that's so, so like if somebody comes in and they're super sad or I don't know, I have people that come to me, like, let's say somebody in their family, maybe even a close family member has just passed. And the next day they're in a call with me mm. and, and I might not know that sometimes they'll give me a heads up, which is nice. They're like, Oh, my, my, my father just passed last night. Oh, so right. I'm feeling kind of down, but I come into session and you know me, like I'm pretty bubbly mm-hmm. and I'm like, Hey, what's happening? What are you doing? <laughs> How are you feeling? And they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm not feeling so good today. I'm like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So I come in and I try to be as energetic and sort of positive as possible, but I let them know from a place of honesty that whatever they show up with is cool with me, that it's all, again, back to this idea of psychological flexibility, it's all workable. 
Like for me, sadness is not a bad thing. Depression is not a bad thing. Anxiety is not bad stuff. It's, it's all workable stuff. Mm. Right? And I think that the easiest way to work with some of that stuff when it shows up online, especially with kids, is to positively reinforce. Um, and this is a big thing within the model of psychological flexibility is positively reinforce as much as we possibly can that what they're feeling is okay mm. and that it's not bad mm. and that it's manageable and there are ways to work with it. Right? There's that. always a way to work with it. I love that. And I really want to thank you for bringing that up because I know as a teacher, sometimes, you know, we put all this energy into our lessons and our lesson planning and, and we have these objectives and goals because we want to be, <laughs> pro well, we want to be productive, right? People are paying yeah. us to accomplish something, whatever that may be. And then you do have a student that comes in and maybe they're low energy, maybe they're really struggling. And we, uh, our first reaction is, oh, crap. I'm not going to get done what I wanted to get done, but what we mm -hmm. really need to be doing is going, you know, what we do today is awesome. And maybe we need to be flexible with our lesson plan and go, okay, you know what, maybe we'll just not sing today, or maybe there's something else we can do. And, and that's a hard, that's difficult when yeah, you've, yeah. when you've like, when you're kind of in your mind, you've got this, this path. Yeah. <laughs> and your students like I want to go on that path. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like nope, I'm, I'm going over there. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good point is that uh, again, like I'm going to use this idea of psychological flexibility is that how if we want our students to be adaptive, how do people learn how to do anything except how it's modeled? Oh. And so like if if I want a kid to be cuz I work with a lot of kids too. Mm -hmm. And so if I want a kid to be adaptable, but I'm not willing to show that I'm adaptable, mm. then all I'm going to get is resistance. Oh, yes. Right. Um, like, especially as an example of my son with remote learning is his, his, his teacher tells the parents more specifically, but even the kids sometimes it's like, if you get screen fatigue, if you're really tired or something, like if you're really frustrated, um, his name is Mr. Susie, by the way. I, don't, I hope that's okay to say online. Mr. Susie so. is a great teacher. Um, that he'll even say like, guys, it's okay if you need to go lie in your bed and cover up under your covers for like a couple wow. minutes. And then when you feel a little bit better, you come back. Like don't be gone all day and don't use it <laughs> as an excuse to go play with your toys. Mm -hmm. But if you need a little bit of space from being in this new, this absolutely new world that we're all trying to navigate through, yeah. if you need some space, go take some space. Right? And, and I, really, I really love that about him. Is he's like, if you need to step away, step away. Um, and he even specifically tries to make moments in the day of teaching where it's like, okay, step away from MS Teams now. Like, go do some work or go have what he calls a brain break. Go have a brain break. Go move your body or do something that's, that's not looking at a screen and then come back when you're ready, which that's, I think is great. I think that's beautiful. And, you know, you, you made me think um, when Noah was in... It was a grade two, his teacher recognized and was so lovely that Noah would get, he, he's sensitive to sound. So when the class would get really, really loud, he would get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And she gave him the opportunity to go for a walk. Yeah. And he, and he, and we didn't know about this. Noah didn't say anything. But when we had the parent teacher interview, she's like, well, Noah will often let me know when he needs a break. And we're like, what? She's like, yes, and he's allowed to go for a walk. He can walk around the halls and look at the artwork as long as he comes back within, you know, a, a few minutes. And we're like, does he mm -hmm. come? Does he come back? 
<laughs> and she's like, yes, yes, he's really good. And uh, we were super proud, but I was also thrilled that, that she allowed him to step away from the classroom mm-hmm. and then come back. And obviously you can't do that with, with every child, but I really... No, but I, like, what I like about schools these days too is that a lot of schools have like sensory rooms yes. where it's like a specific room in the school where you can go and you can chill out and you can put on a weighted blanket or like... Mm-hmm run your hand on a fuzzy carpet. <laughs> like, Gosh. And I think that that's beautiful is that we're, because mental health is now on the forefront. I'm going to say it's like really on the front lines of everybody's mind. It's in everybody's feed. You can't not acknowledge the importance of it these days. Mm. And so I really like it when we're teaching kids at younger ages to like really, like don't hide, but mm. take care of yourself. Like really yeah. take care of yourself. And back to this idea of supported space is that like, let's say on the days, and I don't always do this. I always want to say this, like, I'm not always hundred percent on this with my kids. Like I wish that I was, but um, from a meditation perspective, I'm not an enlightened being yet. So <laughs> maybe I'm on my way somewhere, but next week, but with that, it's like, there are days when I have an agenda for my son on in school and he's not following the agenda. And then, I get disappointed initially that he's not following the agenda. <clears throat> I say to him, like, buddy, we need to we need to do this right now. Like, it's important. You've got an assignment that needs to be done. And the reality of it is that there's more space than I give myself, um, like, awareness of. Mm. Like, I'm just like, okay, we're in this timeline and I'm narrowed down. And the more I try to hold onto the agenda, the more resistance I get. I think every parent or teacher kind of knows yeah. that. Like the more persistent we are with an agenda that is not working, the more resistance that we get. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like the resistance just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And just like, if we don't figure out ways to release the pressure, slow up like little amounts of pressure every once in a while, then we just build and build and build and explode. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with my kids. It's like, if I, if I keep trying to push an agenda in in a non, I'm going to say in a non-creative way. Like I can be creative with how I get towards the end goal, <laughs> yes. but if I'm not being flexible or creative with how I try to get there, if I'm just like, this is the way to get there, mm. right? This is how you do it. Um, then I'm, I'm, there's an imminent explosion about to happen. <laughs> and I kind of know it in the back of my mind, but I'm like, no, let's gotta do this. Get it done. And so I think like maybe even a big uh, message for teachers is to work on creative ways to get to the same end goal. Mm. And sometimes those creative ways are going to take a little bit longer than we would like. But Mm -hmm. I think in the end, if we can create a smoother transitions to what it is that we're trying to get to, um, then we'll get a lot less resistance and we'll create more of that support and that safety for the kids that we're working with. Oh, so wonderful. Such wonderful strategies. Thank you. Hmm. I, I just have a, I, I have one more question. Have you ever had to, um, with a client, you know, where you just, they're just so agitated or so distraught and you just can't seem to connect with them? What do you mm-hmm. do? What do you do? It's a good question. (laughs) So a lot of my clients and I, depending on how long we've been together, um, we have uh, what we'll call a therapeutic agreement Mm, Okay. in that I'm there to support them, Mm -hmm. but I'm also going to ask for their help and their support. Mm. 
Mm. So it's, it's not a one-way street. It's not just like you be whoever you want to be and all support whatever shows up here. I try to do that, but we also make an agreement that I'm here to help you and part of me helping you is you helping me. Nice. Right. Which is also something that I communicate to my kids. Like I'm here to help you. Like when I'm online, when I'm basically like a teacher's assistant for my son or my wife is a teacher's assistant because we have to keep guiding him back to the computer every once in a while. <laughs> yes, I know is, that. <laughs> and he loves the help because he gets really distressed when we're not there to help him with stuff. Oh, and I'll, okay. we'll say to, I'll say to my son, part of me helping you is you being able to help me. And then we'll talk about what it looks like mm-hmm. for him to help me in this particular setting. Nice. And so that's sometimes a conversation that I'll have with a lot of my clients. It's like, yes, I'm here to help you with your stuff. I can't fix you because I don't think you're broken. I can't tell you what to do in your life. Although I know that some people would really just tell me that I'm broken and how to fix myself. And then I'll, I'll do the stuff to fix myself. And I'm like, mm. you're not broken. I can't fix you. Um, if that was possible, it probably already would have been done by now. <laughs> right. um, but that's one conversation that I think is really important for us to have in any sort of relationship, teacher-student, as opposed to the old teacher-student relationship was very mm. much like, we've talked about this, like, yes. I'm the master, you are the student, you do what I say. Um, and if we go like old school martial arts, it's like, if you mm. don't do what I say, you're going to get whacked with a stick probably. <laughs> right? And nobody wants to get whacked with a stick or you build up a tolerance to get whacked with, to getting whacked with a stick and it just doesn't bother you anymore. There. <laughs> but to talk about the ways in which it is a relationship and that you want help and how can we work together to make mm. sure that this goes as smoothly as possible. And I think that one of the best ways to explain that is for us to communicate as well as we can. So if I have a client or a student or my kids and they're not feeling so good and like, I want them to be able to communicate that to me mm-hmm. um, so that if I know it, then I can empathize with that rather than resist it. And that's a big thing with my clients who are a little bit resistant is um, I let them know that I can sort of feel what they're feeling or I understand that what they're thinking is like really, really powerful stuff. Um, and back to this idea about an agenda is that I think, especially as like therapists, counselors, teachers, we go in with this agenda thinking that it's going to be super helpful mm. um, without the client or the student's input on what might be helpful. Wow. And so consistently in therapy, I'm not, give, I'm not putting the onus on my clients, but we'll brainstorm like ideas about what do you think would be a more effective route to take? And if I have a broader repertoire of how to approach many things like mental, emotional problems, let's say, like I don't approach anxiety the same way for everybody because I don't think that everybody's anxiety is the same or their fear is the same. And so if I can build up a broader repertoire of practices or ideas or approaches around any of those things, when they can communicate that to me or I can notice it in them. And sometimes I have clients where I'll time them out if I think that they're being a little bit too resistant, I have a little Tibetan bowl that I'll ring sometimes. Nice. I'll say like, when I feel like you're getting off track or you're being too resistant, is it okay if I ring this bowl to kind of let you know, as opposed to be like, hey, you, <laughs> you're, hey, you. Um, so I'll, I'll create a nicer way to bring them back. Mm. Uh, and then again, the communication is just really key of just telling our clients or our students what it is that we would like to get from them. 
Mm -hmm. right? Just like any partnership, just explain what you would like to get from them, why you're in the relationship, what can be helpful or harmful to the relationship. And then when that shows up, being able to address it like on the spot. Um, And I also like, this is, and this might be helpful to teachers is that I actually use music quite a bit in Mm. counseling where like, let's say, um, somebody's feeling in a mood and I'll ask them like, does this mood feel okay to feel right now? And, and I think that that's a big question too. It's like, is this feeling okay to feel right now? Cause sometimes if you ask that people will actually say, yes, like I'm sad, but it's okay to feel sadness right now. Mm. And then I'll, I'll say like, what's a song that you, that you use to help you feel better when you, when you kind of like don't want to feel so sad. Mm. And then if they say, like, they say something, I'll just, like, I'll download it onto my iPhone and I'll just, we'll just listen to it. That's and then we'll communicate. We'll do a little exercise afterwards. Or if they want to, if they want to, like, delve into their sadness a little bit, then maybe we play something more towards that. Mm. Um, and so I think that that can kind of be uh, something that, a tool that keeps us on track, mm-hmm. but allows us not to get too far off of where we're headed. Mm. Um, and so it might even be like, maybe even a suggestion for voice teachers and stuff. Like if your kids come in and they're a little, they're feeling a little depressed or feeling anxious or they're down about something or they're sad is like, we're not trying to necessarily make them feel better. Right. Although there's ways that we can help them to do that inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing that Mr. Susie says. He's like, guys, if you're a one or a two, or maybe even a three, that's okay. But maybe let's think about some ways that we can get up to a four or a five. If it's okay to get up to a four or five, but know that one, two, and three, they're okay. I like Um, Mr. Susie. Yeah. And it might even be like, if your kid comes in and they're feeling a little down, what kind of song could we sing that could make you feel better if you want? Mm. Or what kind of song is it that you could sing that helps you get more in touch with what it is that you're feeling? Mm, that is so Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I and thank you for bringing that up. One of the things I did when COVID hit and we went online and everything was just madness and scare, everybody was scared, is I, I ditched my usual warm-ups and I said, you bring a song that you want to sing. No judgment, no nothing. Yeah. Like, just bring it. And oh my goodness, like, some of my students brought some very powerful stuff and it really was like a big picture window to maybe what they were feeling. And and for some of the little ones, I think it was helpful because they didn't have to explain. Maybe they couldn't explain or they weren't ready to explain, but the song kind of did the explaining for them. I love that, that it's like, I think it's really important for adults to recognize that kids feel big stuff Mm -hmm. and that they can understand really complex concepts Mm-hmm. but they can't verbalize them yet. They have no way of communicating the complexity of the things that they feel, but they feel it and they kind of know what they feel. Mm-hmm. And so what I like about that is that you give them an opportunity to explain to you in nonverbal terms, what it is that they're feeling. Like this is, here's how I'm feeling today. This is the song that I want to sing. Right? I would, I would also like to add is that the story is that is being told in the song isn't their story, but it's something in the music that is is embracing their feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And you, ha- and you have to kind of just bypass that for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So. Like I, I used to when I was a kid, I used to listen to a lot of like 
it sounds weird because I grew up in southern, like rural southern Ontario. There weren't a lot of problems out there. Right. But I was an angry little kid, and I listened to a lot of like hardcore rap when I was a kid, like tons <laughs> of swearing. <laughs> it's like, but my mom was very much like very conservative. Like, don't listen to that. Like, you, like I would be playing like I don't know, um, I don't know something. Lots of swearing when I'm having a shower. My mom would come in and like take the tape and like no more oh, of this no. tape. And I'm like ah this is how I feel mom. (laughs) And I, and again, I didn't, I didn't, obviously I didn't grow up in like the projects or anything like that, but the way that the music made me feel reinforced that other people feel that way. Right. And I was like, they're angry about something. And although maybe I like first world issues, rural Southern Ontario and Canada, like, I'm like, I don't have a lot of trauma growing up. I, at least I didn't, right. but it was like, I was angry about something and that music was a way for me to sort of like connect to that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that's really important. Yeah. And it's like kids sometimes don't always want to talk about their feelings, yeah. but they can express them in other ways, right? Movement, song, like singing or listening. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was the great thing about me playing drums when I was a kid is it was a good way for me to get out like my ADHD kind of mm-hmm. qualities, but it was also a good way for me to work out some emotions. Mm. Yeah. So helpful, Steve, this has been so wonderfully insightful and helpful. And, and again, with everybody uh, transitioning online and w- well, whether we're online or, or in person, I think all of these strategies are so helpful and I want to thank you and we will have you back. You are always such a, a valued guest at bringing such great insight. And I also want to bring um, people's attention. You have been a, a guest before. We've had some amazing conversations. Mm-hmm. We've talked about language. We've talked about mindfulness. Um, so I'm going to put links to your previous podcast interviews in the oh, show cool. notes. Yeah. yeah. And of course, uh, I will put all of your information in the show notes. So if people want to reach out, they can. Sweet. Yeah. I'd love to hear from anybody who finds this helpful. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's so good to be see you again, Mickey. A special thank you to Steve for his insight on creating supported spaces. You know, I just wanted to add a very quick personal note. One of the biggest reasons uh, that I became a long-term, long-time student of Steve's in what I would consider a very yoga competitive city. There are hundreds and hundreds of yoga teachers and yoga teacher offerings um, in my neighborhood. And I have to say, I chose, easily was able to choose Steve due to his ability to support his students. And I think that is something that all of us can reflect on when we are looking at our teaching businesses for the upcoming new year. You can hear more from Steve Farrell on episodes 85, where we talked about mindful instruction with Steve Farrell, big talk topic about language, and also way back, Full Voice Podcast number nine, Meditation and Mindful Teaching with Steve Farrell. Great episodes. Check them out. Solfege, or tonic solfa, is a teaching tool used by many music educators around the world. 
Now, singing Do Re Mi is not just for young singers in your studio. In fact, it is beneficial for all ages and abilities. My special guest, Brenda Earl Stokes, is a piano and voice teacher from New York City. She uses solfege with professional level singers and songwriters all the time. She has even created outstanding online courses to help those who want to dive in. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, Brenda Earl Stokes. How are you? I'm great under all the circumstances we're living in. <laughs> oh my goodness, I know. So uh, you are in, you're in New York City. Yes. How, can I ask how things are there? How, how, what's the energy there? Well, we're, the energy is fine. So far, our numbers are very low. And, you know, since we were the first epicenter for North America, we've certainly gotten used to what's going on and we've just kind of adapted. But for the most part, things are pretty calm right now. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. And I also, I also, you're a kindred spirit because you two are also like, have you have your son at home and you're homeschooling. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I am. It's somehow that's what we decided to do this year. So... And how's it going? How how are you managing that with being a busy teacher and educator? It's it's been going really well. Um, distance learning was really hard for us. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just the amount of screen time and it was very very stressful for us. And so I had a couple of students who were homeschooled, and I reached out to their moms and just said, "Is this like what do you do?" <laughs> and it seemed like a better fit. So we're actually having a great old time and um, are getting a lot of really great stuff done. And he likes the the number of hours he has to himself to do what he wants all day. So it's been really perfect for us. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. It's nice to hear that that people are pivoting and finding success and finding their groove. So thank you for sharing that. So but today, of course, okay, I am so excited. Because, um, well, actually, full disclosure. So uh, you're a member of the Voice Teachers for Young Singers. Um, You're an active voice teacher, piano teacher, course creator. And not long ago, you created a Solfege Crash course. And as soon as I saw it, I was so happy. I think that I think that Solfege is such a wonderful tool. Why? Let's start with the why did you decide to create this course? And then we're going to talk about your other courses as well. So Crash Course in Solfege is a, a, a course in eight video lessons with a whole bunch of additional materials that breaks down what I've been doing with my students for probably 20 years. And I've taught in a lot of different capacities. I studied I studied solfege privately with um, Art Levine, who's taught at the Royal Conservatory and taught at York University in, in Toronto. And after that six months of studying solfege privately, I realized that it was something that was really lacking from my life. It was something mm-hmm. that I needed. And so I've been using a a lot of resources that I sort of worked out with him and stuff that I've developed on my own. Um, And I've been using them with, you know, choruses, students, like different kind of combinations of people. And I've also been using it with populations of musicians who solfege wouldn't usually be applicable to. Mm -hmm. So music theater singers, jazz singers, rock singers, singer songwriters. And it's something that's come up over and over again. And seems like such a sort of a strange thing to use with with people who aren't necessarily going to be chorus people or mm-hmm. sight singing for example 
but it's been so effective that I wanted to give it kind of give it away to the world as a as an opportunity for other people who might not have understood Solfege to give them a chance to to use it because it's such an incredible tool. I'm I'm really intrigued, and I I have to say I'm very excited. Um, there it, there seems to be, I think, my personal opinion is there seems to be misconceptions about that system, and I know when this conversation comes up in forums, there are the naysayers, the people that are like, no, 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 this is, you, you, you teach them how to play the notes on the, like you teach them the notes on the piano, you teach them the note names, and it's, a, it's an unnecessary step. And then you have teachers who are like, no, this is an amazing tool. I certainly use it for my beginners, but I'm interested to know how you use it with the professionals and with the songwriters. Well, it usually comes up when people come in and they've got some kind of a block. Mm-hmm. I would I don't usually pitch it to somebody as as something because it can be really extraneous. But if I have a student that's having a really hard time, for example, um, matching pitch consistently, mm. um, if somebody is having a really difficult time connecting, because since I, I teach a lot of people how to play piano as well, mm-hmm. um, if people are having a problem connecting what they're singing to what they're playing or if people are having a hard time creating harmonies, either singing Mm. back up in a band, creating their own harmonies for their own recordings, um, or for people that just have any little persnickety thing that relates to to melody, singer-songwriters who are having a hard time finding melodies, then I have this protocol that is what I've put into this course of you know, singing the scale, singing things inside the scale, arpeggiating chords. It's its really, it's four exercises that help people to really start to identify the difference, the difference between how the pitches relate to each other and what the, the function of the notes are. And it's been such a profound thing that when I first pitch it to people, people look at me like I have two heads and they're like, well, why would I do that? But after a couple of weeks of it, they're like, oh, I totally get why we're doing this. Mm. So it's really developing the inner ear, um, as you said, with a tool that is so effective that I just I just constantly use it with people. I love all of that. I, I, I want to share a quick story. So when I was in high school, we had a vocal music class and we learned solfege and like a typical high school person, I thought that it was silly and and why are we doing this and lots of eyeball rolls. But when I got to college, I realized that I had a tool that a lot of the other singers didn't have. So with the ear training, with theory, with all of the extra uh, activities that we were challenged with, I, I always referred back to the solfege. And I honestly, it was such a huge asset even in, in studio work it was I could I could use the scales I could think of the harmonies I could relate to it and uh, I, I I have to say I, I I really was resistant to it when I was younger so when you have somebody that's just not like you said you're they're not kind of buying into it at beginning how do you how do you help them through that block well, I, I'm sort of like the used car salesman for certain things. You know, I, I, I always say to people like, you know, if you if you trust my musicianship enough to be your teacher, um, I'm going to ask for your trust in this and mm. I'm going to give you a set. We're going to try it for 
10 minutes each lesson for three lessons. And if you don't see the point of it after that time, then we will never have this conversation again. Like I will leave it, I'll leave it alone. So it's usually from that point of view. And from this, usually when I'm pitching it to somebody, we've been together for a while and they know that I say all kinds of things where they're like, well, why would I do that? And then they're like, oh, I'm so glad we did that. So people are used to sort of the, the method behind my madness. Um, and I think people respect me as a, as a musician too, to say like this person clearly Mm-hmm. Um, knows what they're talking about because I'm, you know, I'm a very well-established musician. So it's it's usually not too hard of a sell. Now, you're also a seasoned uh, accompanist, musician, piano player. Uh, do you use it with when you're accompanying singers? Do you, do you get into that instruction? I, whenever someone's coming to me for a coaching or a lesson in whatever capacity it is, that's when I would, it would show up. Um, mm-hmm. I would bring it as a tool if I felt like it was going to benefit somebody. So I would, I would definitely with a jazz singer, it would show up or, um, you know, there, there would be a lot of different circumstances where we would with a jazz singer too. singing the diatonic modes mm. in solfege is also something that's really helpful. Big time. Um, and so again, depending on the capacity that someone is working with me, I definitely show people how to use that. Full disclosure. I have, uh, I have sung Dorian modes using Ray to Ray f- Mm-hmm. For my entire life. <laughs> yeah, that's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, you you're also uh, you've also created this very helpful course, um, piano skills for singers. Can you tell everybody about this program? So it's sort of another thing that kind of showed up. So my first instrument is piano, and both of my my undergrad and my master's degree are both in jazz piano. And I started singing, you know, after between my undergrad and my master's degree and have subsequently, you know, studied vocal pedagogy and I'm a professional singer as well. Um, And one thing that kept showing up was that all of these singer friends of mine were starting to come and take lessons with me. And this has been going on for like 20 years of, of singer friends saying, I can't believe this. I'm so embarrassed. I mean, we've heard the story a million times. I'm so embarrassed. I took four semesters of piano in college. I can't play anything. Mm-hmm. People thinking that they have some kind of a learning disability. That means oh. they're terrible at piano. That whole sort of story of like, this is terrible. I'm the worst pianist around. I need help. And over that time, I've worked with, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of professional singers. And what I realized was that there was sort of a common common problem that was going through all of these singers who had studied in different capacities. And that was that they were being taught piano skills from a pianist. Mm. And the, the problem with that being that the pianists that are creating these curricula and these syllabi that are all over the place are used to training pianists to be pianists. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is you have to take this long way around that starts with method books, that starts with hand and exercises, that starts with scales, chords, and arpeggios, two octaves, hands together. And I would say about 80% of that is a complete waste of time for somebody who just needs enough piano skills to support their singing. Mm-hmm. And so after all of these singers coming through and looking at what they had studied, I realized that there is a much more direct way that we could give direct vocational skills to singers so that the first things that we're teaching them are things that they can use immediately in their own work. Right. 
And so I took this material and turned it into the first, and I was so compelled to do it. I, I had no interest in doing online courses. I, I had no I had no background in that, but I was so compelled by this experience of teaching these these poor singers who were so frustrated and thought mm-hmm. that they were stupid. Like they, they would yeah. say, I'm the worst. I don't understand this. I don't know piano, but it was really, there was an issue behind what they were being taught. And so I created Piano Skills for Singers Level One to give that material out into the world. Um, for people who wanted to get started. And then mm-hmm. level two is the the soup to nuts, what I think um, two or three semesters of a college level piano course should be. Oh, that that sounds so, <laughs> so helpful. Uh, as soon as you said the two octave scales and the Hannon studies, I have to say I felt a little sad because that's exactly what... <laughs> what I was doing and not enjoying and not appreciating. And, and I think that, uh, that you understand being a singer yourself, what, what we need to get started. And of course, someone could then dive into deeper technique and deeper lessons. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing. It's not, it's not that piano skills for singers. It's because singers shouldn't learn the other stuff, but Mm -hmm. I just don't think they should learn it first. Nice. Um, Because you think of what does a singer need to be able to do? Well, every singer, and we're talking classical singer, we're talking choral singer, we're talking pop rock singer, Mm -hmm. we're talking Mm -hmm. every kind imaginable kind of singer, Mm -hmm. Um, electronics, music singer, should be able to play a melody, their melody, so they can teach it to themselves. Mm -hmm. They should be able to play all of their chords in major and minor in 12 Mm -hmm. keys in root position. And they should be able to play several different voice exercises also in 12 keys so that they can support their own singing, but that they can also support their inevitability of being a teacher, being a chorus teacher being a general music teacher for them to be able to do those things. And then the next level after that is being able to fake accompaniments. Mm. And I have a very strong feeling when when the first thing that people learn is two-handed piano music, I don't agree with that. I think that the skill of teaching someone how to fake is something that can happen so much quicker. I can get somebody faking in a handful of lessons and then they will be able to create accompaniments Mm -hmm. that are much more satisfying than that would have taken them five or six years of study to be able to play. So I'm super, super passionate about people learning how to do that. I love that. That is so inspiring. Now, um, with your courses, uh, so you have the solfege crash course major edition but you have more courses coming down the pipeline let us let us know about those yeah so i have crash course in solfege major edition is the one that's just most recently out and i already have like i think i've got like 80 people or something who've oh, already enrolled wonderful. which is really great and the, the feedback has been good it's eight lessons video lessons it's like you get it done um the new course that's coming out very soon and by the end of november or in the next couple of weeks um is called crash course in solfege minor edition and mm. this covers law-based movable dough solfege um natural minor harmonic minor and melodic minor. And so that's a a little more substantial for all the minors. I love it. I love it. And then the piano courses are um, Piano Skills for Singers Level 1 and Level 2. There's another pretty substantial course called Jazz Piano Accompaniment, which is really to teach anybody who has 
a background in piano. So this is also for pianists who want to learn jazz, Mm -hmm. for jazz singers who want to learn to accompany themselves. You learn how to walk a bass line, how to play comping figures, how to play all these different real real deal, authentic jazz piano voicings. And you learn how to improvise too, so that by the end of the course, you'll be able to read anything from a fake book and sound like a jazz player. Oh, which is really cool. That's exciting. Yeah. That's so <laughs> yeah. exciting. And then the last course um, is called Piano Improvisation for Everyone. And this is a course teaching a variety of styles of improvising at the keyboard, which is, again, for anybody who has a little bit of a background on the piano. Mm-hmm. So it's for people who have like just very basic piano knowledge to people who are professional classical pianists who are looking for um, other ways to improvise you know, to get oh, started. So, and so it teaches you how to do different styles of um, scale-based improvisation, free improvisation, um, how to play like a really sweet sounding blues um, oh. and how to play like those pop piano solos that like make all the girls and boys cry. I want in. I want to know how yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is what I've come up with so far. <laughs> Brenda, these are such valuable courses. And with everything being online now, I mean, it's more convenient than ever to to um, add what I think are wonderful tools to our teaching toolbox uh, and to upgrade our skills. This is so wonderful. I want to thank you for, one, creating these wonderful uh, programs and also for nurturing the community of singers because I think that there is a big hole in a lot of uh, curriculum um, for the singer and what they need and how to support them. So thank you for that, that, that uh, my pleasure i mean a, a big thing too especially i mean it, it's every year that goes by with the singer singers need to have more tools available mm-hmm. to them and now that we're sort of in this pandemic and hopefully going into a post-pandemic world we all have to be thinking about how do we diversify ourselves? How do we arm ourselves with as many tools as possible? And one of the things that surprised me when I was in graduate school was that I was I was applying for these jobs as um, you know a, a, a artist in residence at at different inner city schools and things like that and. I was getting hired over all the singers and I wasn't at that point, I I hadn't done a lot of vocal pedagogy. I wasn't a confident voice teacher, Mm -hmm. but I was getting hired over these incredibly trained singers. And it was because I played piano. And I just think of all of these amazing, wonderfully trained singers who are missing out on opportunities. We're losing out gigs to piano players Mm -hmm. when all they would have to do is get such a small number of skills under their fingers to be able to be functional. So Mm -hmm. it's something that's so in reach um, that seems so out of reach that I just really want my all my singer peeps to 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 find a way to build those tools that they need. This is also where where Soulfish comes in and having Kodai training and having some rhythm training. It's all things that you can add to a general music class or an early childhood class or um, uh, you know singing at a nursing home and doing a sing along. It's like all of these things that you can think about. Well, how how can I continue um, working and and living as a as a singer? I love it. I love it. Thank you for being an ally to uh, to vocalists and, and teachers everywhere. I know that there's a lot of uh, people out there that are going to take advantage of your courses and of your, of your wonderful offerings. Brenda, I want to thank you. Uh, but before you go... 
And now, the warm-up of the week. Dun-dun-dun. We always ask our guests for a warm-up of the week. So I'm wondering if you have a piano warm-up, perhaps, this week that we could could share with everyone. I can. Should I describe it? Yes. I know it's an audio podcast, but... (laughs) It's totally okay. So when you think about the first five notes of the major scale, there's a framework to them. So between the first and second note, it's a whole step. Between the second and the third note is a whole step. Between the third and the fourth step is a half step. And between the fourth and the fifth note, it's a whole step. And so one thing that you could do today, if you're not super confident on the piano, or if you want a refresher, is to go through the circle of fifths, put your thumb on C, and look at the structure. It's a whole step, whole step, half step, whole step. So one, two, three, four, five, and then come back down, four, three, two, one. Mm. Thinking about what the structure of the first five notes of the scale is, that's going to be the same in every key. So then you would go up a fifth to G, and you would do the same shape. Um, If you find that that's not super difficult, you could do hands together, the Mm. first five notes of of each uh, major scale in all 12 keys. Oh, that's a great challenge. That's a great challenge. Brenda, thank you for your time. Thank you for these wonderful opportunities for growth and um, musical development for all of us. In the show notes, I'm going to put links to your website and to all of your courses. And of course, we will see you in our group, Voice Teachers for Young Singers. You're always a wonderful participant offering lots of great tips, and we do appreciate that. Wonderful. Well, for anybody who's listening to the podcast, I want to offer you a 20% off any of the courses or all of the courses <gasps> that you like um, if you use the coupon code Full Voice. So that's one word, Full Voice. And then you'll get um, 20% off the course of your choice. Oh, thank you so much. My my podcast guests are always so generous. Thank you. So podcast listeners, full voice, one word. And if you go to our show notes or to our podcast page, you'll see links to all of Brenda's amazing programs. And Brenda, thank you for being such a wonderful um, uh, participant in our forum. You're so helpful to all our members. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you on and offline. Great. Thank you so much. Keeping up with the never-ending professional voice teacher development can be at times overwhelming. But fear not, our good friend and colleague Shannon Coates has some fun and easy ways you can continue your voice pedagogy studies. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend, my colleague, Shannon Coates. How are you? I'm well. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much, Nikki. Well, I I always enjoy your segments. We're talking about how we can be the best teacher on mm. the planet and how we can level up our teaching skills. So today, this is an interesting topic. Uh, we're talking about different ways that we can ingest our voice pedagogy. And you've got you've got a really neat little list here of different ways that we can kind of up our skills. So I want you to I want you to dive in. So take it away. Excellent. Let me say first of all that the reason that I came up with this list in the first place and the reason that I wanted to put this out there in the world in the first place is that 
I personally don't love reading for information. I love reading for pleasure. And I personally do not enjoy reading textbooks, reading articles, reading that kind of thing. So that's, it's really not my thing. And oh, hey, I happen to have a doctorate and I happen to have produced a big old document that I would never read (laughs) because (laughs) it's way too long and there's way too much stuff in there that I just don't need to know. Give me the... Give me the abstract and the conclusion, and I'm very happy to read that and to get the information I need from that. So that's the reason that I put this together is because I figure, hey, if I don't super duper love to get my information from reading, I bet there are lots and lots of other people who don't love to get their information that way. And also, we're voice teachers. Who's got time? <laughs> Who's got the time to do that? I've got a real life A very going good on. point. <laughs> These textbooks are huge. I don't need to, who's got time? So, and I also just wanted to kind of, you know, take away some of the um, shame around that as well, right? So I grew up in a house, my dad would say constantly, the readers are the leaders. And I, you know, started reading, yes, (laughs) I started reading when I was very young. I was reading before I went to kindergarten. It's not that I don't love reading. It's that I don't love getting my information that way. So Mm -hmm. here we go. Here are some ways that you can, eight ways, in fact, that you can learn VoicePed without picking up a dang textbook. So the first one, guess what the first one is, Nikki? Mm, would it be do an online course? <laughs> no, that's farther down. It's listen oh. to podcasts. <laughs> oh. oh, you've the got first me. One is listen to podcasts. Yes, oh, it is. Okay. Because how many, right? How many podcasts are there that are full of the information that you need? Obviously, this one is fantastic, especially if you're running an independent voice studio and uh, you want information, lots of different information. That's the other thing. Voice pedagogy covers a a whole bunch of different topics. I mean, technically, voice pedagogy is the art of teaching, you know, how we teach. Technically, that's what that phrase means. But it has come to also mean understanding anatomy and physiology, which is part of helping you to teach better, of course. And it's also come to mean, you know, like understanding how to run a business because for independent voice teachers, how do we run a business, which encompasses how do we do social media and all of the other things that you also talk about on this podcast. So there are lots of different podcasts out there that address address specific aspects of voice pedagogy. So if you're interested in like the nuts and bolts, the anatomy and physiology, there are a bunch of podcasts like that. If you're interested in, you know, understanding formants, there's a podcast for you. There's like, there's all of those podcasts are out there. They're free. They're listenable. I listen to them on like one and a half to two times speed because that's the way (laughs) I like my information. I like it coming at me breakneck, like give it to me fast. So that's, that's a one great way. The other Uh, The next one on my list is blogs. And again, this is free information. And they, if you sign up for your blog post, they'll deliver it right into your inbox. And then you can Mm. have, you can have them all like on a, some newsletters as well are are, uh, quite informational in that way, like giving you actual topics and, and sort of discussions in a voice ped way. Um, I find that the blogs tend to be a little bit more information rich, right? Newsletters are a little bit more like, here's what's happening in my part of the world, whereas blogs are a little bit more information rich. And again, the breadth of the kinds of information you can get is is staggering. So you can also then put a 
filter on your inbox so that you're not like constantly being distracted by them where anything from a blog goes directly into a to read uh, folder and then you just click on that to read folder and search through it for the information you want at the time that you want it and boom. That's the way to do it. The other one is, again, this is all free stuff too. That's the other thing. There's lots of free content. Um, We'll get into the paid stuff in a minute, but lives. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, lots of people doing regular lives where Mm -hmm. you can actually toss in some questions as well. So this is relatively interactive. Obviously I do, I do some lives. They're not consistent enough for you to like sign up to get them, but there are lots of people out there who are doing consistent lives where you know that where they're going to be, they're going to be on at a certain time every single week or whatever, and you can throw in your questions and get some really good information that way. YouTube channels, speaking of lives and social media, YouTube channels, there are some really fabulous YouTube channels out there with really wonderful information. Um, Dr. Dan's is the one that comes to mind most readily for me, but uh, at the moment, but there are lots of them out there. But part of the reason that his comes to mind very readily is the fact that he puts so much work into those videos. They are, yeah, they're animated, they're well edited, they have accurate information, they answer specific questions in very intentional ways. Uh, It's... That's one out there that is really a top-notch YouTube channel that um, if you're looking for some voice pet information, and again, these are searchable. So if you have a question about uh, head voice and chest voice, for example, or if you have a question about uh, singing contemporary styles, like a specific question, um, or about working with young children, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, these are all searchable. So there's all of that information is out there. The Nats chats are also on YouTube. Mm. Um, Lots of good information that way. Uh, the number five on my list is online courses. And there are lots of those right now. Yay! I happen to have one. Yes, I do. The Vocal Instrument 101. These are downloadable, self-directed courses. And it's a certain kind of person who, who uh, you know, works well with that kind of course. I actually personally don't do well with the online downloadable self-directed courses. Um, ask me how many I have in my inbox right now mm. waiting to be done. <laughs> I have five. I literally have five in my inbox waiting to be done. Will they ever be done? Mm, I don't know about that. But if you're the kind of person who is motivated and works through those kinds of courses, these are fabulous ways to get information. And you can go back and look at those uh, you know, regularly, they're generally evergreen. So you can come back mm-hmm. and, you know, look at them. And then there are live courses online. So um, uh, I also do that kind of thing. Uh, and again, that's the kind of learning that I really enjoy, uh, mm-hmm. where you're, you're signing up, the information is right there, it's interactive. And it's more of like a lecture style, but there's also interaction going on in there. That's my fave uh, kind of online thing. And especially since uh, COVID has taken over our lives, there's yes. a lot more of that going on. Um, so mm-hmm. you can you can do conferences online. Speaking of, number six on my list is conferences. And uh, again, this is something that I really enjoy. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm an extroverted person. So I really love conferences because I get to see all the people and it someday we'll be going back to in-person, I'm sure. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. uh, the, the online conferences that I've attended recently have all been um really wonderful i've i've had wonderful experiences with the online conferences so mm-hmm. that's another one to do the seventh on my list is to watch master classes um 
and attend festivals and listen even when your students aren't singing. So masterclasses, yeah, masterclasses. I mean, in Canada, we have, we have more, uh, we have more of a festival culture than in other parts Mm -hmm. of the world. So there's, you know, there's a music festival, like every little town in Canada has a a music festival, which is wonderful. It's more of a, yeah, it's more of a cultural thing for us. So that's a little bit more accessible in some ways for us. Um, However, there are, and, and, you generally know in advance who the adjudicators will be, so who you're going to be listening to. So if someone is coming in whose uh, opinion you really respect and who has some really good information to give, they're going to do that, in, and, it's, and it's free, or sometimes it's like a $5 entry fee or whatever $10 yes. entry fee for the day, or, you know, it's very inexpensive. So you can go in there and, and watch um, a teacher working with students and working with singers and really get some beautiful information, especially, I mean, the other thing on that one is, especially if you have, if you are, for example, a classically trained singer or a music, a, a contemporary trained singer, and you go and sit in on the classes of the opposite uh, genre to the one that oh, you great. work in, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a classically trained singer, go and listen to the entire um, contemporary music theater classes. Just go listen to them mm-hmm. because usually, especially the bigger festivals, they'll have a music theater expert there adjudicating the music theater classes and they'll have a mm-hmm. classical uh, expert there adjudicating the classical Absolutely. classical classes, right? So you can get some really good tips about style, about the composer styles, about appropriate repertoire, about how to, you know, the acting, uh, you know, engagement, characterization. You can really take on some beautiful information from watching a festival, just going nice. and sitting there for a couple of hours at a time. And then masterclasses, there are so many masterclasses online now, um, uh, which is really wonderful. So if you kind of, you know, poll your your uh, friends and, and colleagues, lots of folks now uh, inviting some wonderful masterclass technicians into their studio, into their online studio and doing them over Zoom. I've done several over the over this COVID time as well. And uh, they, the, the masterclasses, of course, are for your students. So you're going to get some information if you bring in someone. But also, if you invite other teachers, if you open that up for other teachers to watch, I mean, again, this is, this is wonderful information that you can get at a very conversational, like, you can take notes. And anyway, I love, I love that kind of um, learning as well. Number eight, the final one, would be to find yourself a teaching mentor. And that is, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways to do that. Um, Obviously, if you're still working with a voice teacher, which great, uh, they may be willing to be to to come into a role of a teaching mentor for you and Mm -hmm. something that you can suggest with them. I mean, this is something that I do as part of what I do, but if you have someone that you would like to work with, something you could suggest is to uh, ask them to observe your teaching. Um, You're going to pay them their rate (laughs) for Mm -hmm. that. Uh, It's going to be your part of your continuing education to do that. And even if they're like, no, I would just like to do that. No, you're going to, you're going to pay them their rate for that. Very good. Um, uh, And, Oh, or ask them to ask them to observe you teaching, which is so easy now because of Zoom. Hello, they can mm-hmm. just be right there in the corner, or you can even record it and send to them again. Pay the rate and and talk to them about what you're doing in your own teaching. You can also, if you have a, a specific students that you're not 
you're not sure that you're working with them in the best way possible, you can also do the same thing. Ask them to observe you working with that student directly and give them, ask for tips and feedback. You can ask to observe them teaching. Um, often, often we have uh, teachers, often teachers are working um uh, with, you want to make sure that they're working with the same kinds of students that you're working with um, if you want to get that information about the students. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. It can also be someone who's working with a totally different kind of student because you're observing their teaching, right? So if you're yeah. looking for teaching and pedagogy um, information, observing their teaching is, is great, even if the student isn't necessarily someone that you might work with. Um, you can bring them into work with your students uh, in a non-traditional masterclass way, which again, this is the way that I like to work, where um, I'm working with your student, but I'm working with you to teach that student. So we're working together mm -hmm. teaching that student. So we're, we're doing lots of back and forth about what happens if you use this language, what happens if you ask for this kind of gesture, what happens if, you know, blah, 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 what do you think is happening here? And so if that's what's happening, then what would be some great ways to uh, work on that? Uh, what are some, you know, just lovely dialogue kind of mentoring work? Um, and you can ask, you can feel free to ask someone you really respect to do that. Uh, most of the teachers that I know would be thrilled to be able to um, have that kind of mentor relationship. So if that's, uh, if that's the way you like to learn, that's a very um, successful and engaging way to get that learning in. So those are the eight, Nikki. <laughs> what do you think? Wow, I love it. I think that uh, I think that that really opens up some amazing opportunities. And I want to thank you for kind of laying that all out because there we just have so much. We we have so many opportunities right now, but we mm. maybe we just don't know where to start. So mm. I. I always appreciate when you come in with these wonderful little tidbits and I, I have a million ideas right now that I'm going to take into my studio. I want to thank you, Shannon Coates, for uh, again, sharing some really great strategies for teachers to level up and really uh, invest in their pedagogy skills. Thank you so much. Always my pleasure. You can't see me, but I'm doing like double thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. There is a new podcast for voice teachers, and it is fantastic. Justin Peterson and Brian Lee, both amazing guests that we've had on our show, have launched a wonderful new podcast called The Voice Culture. Brian was a guest on our show last episode, and he gave me a heads up about some of the fun and some of the topics of their new show. Welcome back back to the full voice podcast my friend and colleague brian lee how are you i'm very well thanks and i'm delighted to be here it's so good to see you again oh it's so good to see you brian and i have history we were we were booth mates at the 2018 nats convention and we had yep. we had many wonderful conversations <laughs> about all things voice and other things Yes, many things. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm very excited. This is I. I love that uh, we there's there's another. I love that there's another podcast 
on uh, for people to listen to. So uh, you have started a new podcast called The Voice Culture with our good friend Justin Peterson. I would love for you to tell everybody a little bit about it. Sure. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the history of singing, the history of voice teaching, and also the current state of those two things mm. um, with, you know, Western cultural emphasis. I mean, we're not going to get real ethnomusicological musicological mm. about uh, other places and times we know nothing about. But we got the idea to do it because Justin and I have back and forth discussions about these topics at least four times a week. Uh, <laughs> between uh, Google Hangouts where we go on and on and on and pass passages back and forth and, <laughs> and talk about books and ideas and what's happening out in the world. And then we also have Zoom meetings and so forth, um, at least weekly. And so we've had so many of these discussions and uh, there's a uh, small group I'm in with uh, two of our other colleagues, you know, uh, Michelle, Marquardt DeVoe and mm -hmm. uh, Kristen Coffee Rondeau. And Kristen said a thing a, a few months ago. She said, you know, I love to just sit back and hear you guys talk. And I think that planted the seed of like, you know, we talk about this stuff all the time. And there are people who've said they've found our jabber interesting. So we thought we would uh, give it a go and uh, share it. Well, I, I want to chime in. I agree. Uh, we had we had Justin Peterson on the podcast. He did a two part series about historic vocal pedagogy, and well, it was a two part series because we just talked forever. and And he, I find this topic very interesting. and And Justin has an amazing way of celebrating uh historic pedagogy and then also encouraging one to reflect on where we are today it was a brilliant conversation i'm going to put links in the show notes for anybody that missed that podcast but um i love i love the idea of just kind of diving into this you guys must have so much fun yeah so we started um we found this handy new thing that's related to uh, the Google universe called GQs. I don't know Ooh. if you've heard of it, but it's it's a uh, sort of task and collaboration manager. So we we opened this uh, GQs uh, account uh, together and have started uh, posting topics. And oh my gosh, when we got the idea to do the podcast. Uh, we would just come up with so many <laughs> topics because over the 10 years we've known each other there we've had so many interesting discussions. We probably have ideas for at least 70 episodes oh. uh, ready to go. Can you, so, can you tease us with some of these, these topics? Can you give the listeners a little idea what you guys are going to dive into? Oh, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, actually, let me just consult my GQ's queue <laughs> right here. So, yeah. So we have um, under show ideas, so we have big umbrella ideas. Uh, one big umbrella idea is the scientific method. Um, uh, let's see. Creative ways to screw up a vocalese. <laughs> okay, I'm listening to that one. Many teachers, I think, could 
chime in with that, oh, right? Brilliant. Uh, what, what makes a voice quote good unquote? <gasps> um, WTF is support. <laughs> um, loud singing in a loud world. Oh, nice. Um, he and I both love jingles, so we want to do one about jingles over the years. Oh, that would be fun. If you yeah. need any, if you need any uh, uh, singers, that I did that for a while. Oh, neat. Okay, excellent. <laughs> um, just uh, fads and fancies in singing. Um, discussing some of the the maxims uh, that are used in voice teaching. You know, assumptions made and little catchphrases uh our music degrees becoming passe um imagery with acting and singing singing in a language you don't speak um one of my passions latin american art song discovery um i I can go on and on about that and then we have a, a lineup of some people that we would love to talk with too um and oh my gosh you know i'm looking through this list we're up to yeah, there's 68 items on this list. Brilliant. Um, and some of them are mul- multiple. Like, Justin has added a few new ones uh, at the end here that, that I haven't looked at. So he has uh, the mystery of the seven vowels. <laughs> I love it. The voice of neurosis. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, oh uh, <clears throat> we, ha- we have uh, a wealth of topics. And we've... We have discussed at least half of these over the years and rehashed them and written about them on our respective blogs. And uh, so uh, chattering about them, I think, is a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we try to challenge each other to uh, think harder and talk smarter and see if we can get ideas out there that we think should be out there. I think this is exciting and I cannot wait to tune in. Now, can you give everyone uh, the website and how they can find the podcast? Yeah. So the website is thevoiceculture.com. Nice. And the uh, podcast name is The Voice Culture Podcast. I will gladly put uh, the website and all the links in our show notes and our listeners can go check out some wonderful conversations about uh, the history of singing and, of course, teaching singing. Thank you so much. Thank you. A very special thank you to all my amazing guests, Steve Farrell, Brenda Earl Stokes, Shannon Coates, and Brian Lee. Information and links to all the courses and resources mentioned are in our show notes and on our podcast page. You can keep up with all the fun on our show by following at The Full Voice Podcast on Instagram. And if you would like free downloads and voice teaching fun delivered to your inbox, sign up for our newsletter on our website, thefullvoice.com. My friends, I am wishing you a restful, peaceful, rejuvenating holiday season. We will see you in the new year with more fantastic guests and important topics for your teaching studio. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing.
Made by Canoe Music Productions.